It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back. It's good to have you here. Super excited. Today on the show, we have Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans' disability benefits and Social Security disability benefits. He's a founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He's most recently appeared as a guest on Ben Glass of the Ben Glass on, consu- <laughs> on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans as well as Social Security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing these disabilities. Francis has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox around the country. He's also been quoted in USA Today and is listed in Cambridge's Cambridge Who's Who. Francis is honored by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award for his contribution as a joint author to the best-selling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation. In 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thank you so much, Bert. I always enjoy the chance to chat with you. Absolutely. And as always, you know what? I think the work that you guys do there at uh, Jackson McNichol, um, a.k.a., I want to throw this out there, veteran, veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com is invaluable. Uh, you know, we, we, I know that you know, the, the reality is there's a lot of lawyer jokes out there, but the work that you guys do, to me anyway, is very important because you're protecting the people who at one point risk their lives to protect our country. So I find the work that you guys do uh, so important. So thank you for your, for your work. Well, thank you, Bert. All right, so I want to dive into this. Uh, you know, there's been a lot. Uh, in fact, last time you were on the show, we were talking about the PACT Act, and it's just uh, uh, gotten even more, uh, I guess, popular. I mean, either way, the topic is trending. Uh, any updates? Any any more news on the PACT Act? Well, one really big thing, Bert. Um, originally, they were going to phase in the presumptive conditions over the next several years, but uh, the president and the secretary got together and decided that they were not going to do that. They are actually going to make all of the presumptive conditions effective as of the date of uh, the, as of the date the president signed the legislation on August 10th. So that's a a really big deal for anybody who has any of the presumptive conditions under the act. And as you know, there are a whole lot of them, but especially uh, a lot of serious cancers, brain cancer. And, gastrointestinal cancer and kidney cancer, lymphoma. Uh, so those are all um, really, really a, a, a big deal. The, um, the secretary's office is still saying that they won't be able to begin processing those until uh, the first of the year, but they are, they are treating them as presumptive, effective as of the date of the act, and they will... Uh, uh, pay people retroactively to that date uh, when when the claims are actually uh, processed. Wow, so that's, that's pretty good. That, that's that is that is you're right. That is pretty good. Man, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's it's nice when 
uh, we call it, they kind of uh, keep their word, and hopefully it all work out starting in January. And 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 uh, yeah, that's great. All right, let me ask you this: Is that most of the country is trying to simply forget or ignore COVID ever happened? Uh, just checking in with you. Anything with the VA? Uh, VA doing anything about that? Yeah, Bert. Uh, the VA has actually been very impressive on this. They uh, they just put out a new uh, guidebook uh, last week uh, on uh, long COVID from their long COVID integrated project team and the uh, the uh, centerpiece, if you will, is that they have uh, been doing research and they found that a lot of their VA uh, a lot of their veterans in VA medical treatment seem to be showing signs of long COVID. So even though people seem to have recovered, uh, they found that they're significantly more likely to have heart or vascular disease within a year after the infection, mm-hmm. that the folks, the folks who contracted COVID-19 had a 60% higher risk of mental health challenges within a year. And they uh, have found that a lot of other folks are still showing <clears throat> continuing symptoms, loss of, loss of taste, um, loss of smell, uh, dizziness, headaches. Uh, so it's, I, I think it's fair to assume that that's partly because a lot of the folks in the VA medical care system are either older or uh, debilitated in terms of uh, conditions that impact their their immune system, but still, these are these are kind of big deal numbers. I mean, uh, 48% of, of folks uh, having uh, dizziness or headaches uh, ongoing after con- after they appear to recover from the virus. You know, that's a that's a big number. Yeah. So. Uh, the, the VA's put out this, uh, this special uh, report for all their clinicians, and they're asking them to, uh, to pay attention to people's ongoing symptoms. Um, you know, they've had uh, ongoing deaths, unfortunately. Only over 5,000 veterans died this year from COVID. Um, so it's, it's, still a, it's still a significant um significant uh, set of numbers in the VA system. They think that there are as many as 40,000 VA, um, you know, people in uh, veterans in in VA medical care who are still um, uh, suffering from long COVID. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a real ongoing problem, even though as, as you know, much of the country is, uh, is really trying to get back to normal and essentially, trying to act as though COVID's no longer a problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not, not to make too light of it, but, you know, for some of us guys, we lost our taste a long time ago. Just, just ask our significant other or our spouse. <laughs> all right, that's a terrible pun. But anyway, all right. So, yeah, you know what? It's I, I think that, COVID, because it was so traumatic, right? And that's just a normal human thing is to, once you experience something traumatic, 
you kind of want to ignore it, forget about it, compartmentalize it. It's it's just a human thing. True enough. And and of course, the other th- the other human thing is that it's very difficult to heal from something that you're ignoring. That's for sure, Bert. You're, you're right on that. All right, so let's let's talk about this. Uh, there, um, in I saw something in the news the other day about TBI, uh, aka traumatic brain injury. There seems to be, I guess, an escalation in in problems or something like this. Walk me through what's going on with the traumatic brain injury problem. Sure. Well, the um, probably the the biggest piece of that from the VA's perspective and, and certainly from the perspective of the military is that uh, that's been a huge problem with folks who served in uh, uh, the various uh, operations in the in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, Iraq, and so on. Um, so the VA has been forced to kind of uh, come to deal with it uh, more than they, they ever had before. And the the Department of Defense has finally decided it's going to uh, try to address it comprehensively. They've they've built um, what they're calling the Warfighter Brain Health Initiative, um, which is a fancy way of saying they're going to really focus on TBI, what causes it, and how to fix it. One of the things that is going on is there's a concern that using various modern weapon systems uh, in and of itself, the, the repetitive impact of being around a tank firing or heavy artillery or these uh, even uh, shoulder-fired rockets, um, that they produce such a blast that it can uh, impact the, uh, the brain. And one of the questions that they're trying to sort out is, okay, if that's the case, what happens when you do this repetitively over time? Is is there a significant risk of TBI? If so, how can it be treated? How can it be ameliorated? How can we get the same effective use of the weapons without causing it? It's it's really a, a significant challenge, you know, as they as they make these weapons more and more powerful and more and more effective and um, localize them more to individual use with things like shoulder-fired rockets, you know, it's uh, it's a big challenge for them. So the, uh, the, the point of the plan is to try to do two things. Number one, identify the impact of various military weapon systems on brain health. And number two, try to um, figure out how to best uh, both avoid the impact and treat it when it can't be avoided. And so they're specifically testing various weapon systems for their ability or their potential to cause these kinds of concussive injuries that lead to TBI. And they're um, they're looking uh, at things like uh, both auditory impact and uh, impact on the lungs, interestingly enough. Uh, I've never really thought of this, but uh, what what these weapons do is they cause overpressure waves that uh, 
can actually uh, impact the lungs and uh, cause the whole body to uh, uh, to be impacted, which is why the the potential for uh, traumatic brain injuries. So it's um, it's a uh, an important step, I think, that the Pentagon has recognized that they need to specifically evaluate these systems for this kind of impact and then go the next step and figure out how to, A, minimize the impact and, B, treat what can't be minimized. Um, because it's really it's really a uh, uh, an issue that has affected people more and more, uh, veterans more and more, active duty soldiers more and more over the last well, 20 years, really. And right. it, it has been you know, largely uh, not uh, not really focused on within the military. The, the VA actually has done um, a pretty decent job of starting to focus on TBI within the last five to seven years, particularly. But the Pentagon is, is just now catching up. And so it's it's going to be, I think, uh, an important uh, an important step for them over the next few years to try to figure out how to uh, how to deal with this. So it's uh, it's interesting, and uh, one of the things that is always a problem, as you know, um, in the veteran community, is that folks are taught this kind of warrior mentality where. You, you focus on the objective regardless of the impact on yourself or those around you. And so people have been hesitant to uh, to talk about things like TBIs and up until the last few years. And even in the last few years, um, a lot of veterans still uh, are reluctant to, uh, to acknowledge that they might have some uh, problem that's affecting their brain. You know, that's not, not anything people rush out to talk about. So it's... Um, it's been a it's been a challenge, but I think it's finally getting to the to the point where people are really paying attention, which is nice to see. Absolutely, and and I want to kind of throw this out there. I believe last time I read, forty uh, percent of the retired National Football League uh, players. The, you know the, the players yep. suffer from traumatic brain injury. Now this is people who are all padded up. They are wearing helmets, and it's it's a game. It's definitely a hard game, especially on the body. And these guys are suffering traumatic brain injury. Could you imagine putting that in a combat scenario where you're dealing with these like you said these sound waves that we know cause uh, traumatic brain injury and or concussions you know and then you're dealing with with uh, just all sorts of different things and our soldiers don't have the kind of protection or padding that a football player has just throwing that out there for people to kind of wrap their heads around there if a if a if a physically fit professional athlete who's padded up from head to toe. And every year the NFL is trying to make those pads uh, more protective and, and, 
and really they have become aware of this uh, of this brain injury, I guess, for the last 10 or 20 years. I don't know how long it's been going on, but you can see them upgrading the material. You can see them upgrading the helmets and upgrading the, the neck support and all that other stuff. None of this do our brave men and women have. They're just out there for the most part with just a bulletproof vest, and that is it. And, and a, you know, and a hat. In some cases, yes, a helmet. But, again, this helmet isn't, isn't set up. I, I know it protects the head, and, I'm, and, and that's great, but it's not, it's not set up, you know, uh, the way uh, some of this other protective gear is. Bottom line is, if it can happen to a civilian playing football, just imagine how much easier it can happen to a soldier. That's kind of my my soapbox that I'm standing on at the moment. Just just a little little thought. Nothing nothing major. You you have a real point there, Bert. Um, one of the things that uh, is going on, as you know, the uh, current American military helmet was basically designed in, around you know, just before really World War II um, with the idea that its function was to keep you from getting shot in the head with a bullet. Uh, it, it doesn't have a good system of protecting the brain against concussion. And certainly I think uh, you are correct that the military could learn some things from the NFL about ways to uh, better create a helmet that would protect against those kinds of injuries. And hopefully they will get that message. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so, uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to bring up is homeless veterans. Uh, it just so happens that uh, uh, we were in California, and uh, this is probably all over the place now where there's several tent cities, but one particular that caught my attention was a tent city that seemed to be primarily veterans. Everybody seemed to be wearing some variation of fatigues, um, and but uh, anyway, uh, what's what what's being done about the uh, homeless veterans problem? Any progress there? Yes, Bert, there has been some, but it's interesting you mentioned California. The, the VA estimates that uh, right now there are about thirty-seven thousand two hundred and fifty veterans or homeless who have not yet been reached by any uh, VA program to help with that. And 10% of them are in Los Angeles. So we don't, hmm. there are a lot of them in California. Um, but as you also mentioned, the VA is, is moving to, uh, to do some things. They, they're trying this, uh, uh, the tent city approach. They're trying some uh, tiny homes. Um, they're doing a, a, a variety of things. And uh, Secretary McDonough uh, mentioned in his uh, speech to the American Legion last week that so far this year they've permanently housed 22,500 homeless vets, um, wow. which was almost, almost half, um, well, as you can, you can tell, 22,000 that they've housed and 37,000 that they haven't, it's under half. But in any event, they've, they've made some real strides toward providing housing. And one of the great things about that I, I don't know if you remember, but Utah actually uh, uh, pioneered this uh, this issue of uh, dealing with 
homeless folks getting them services by starting with housing. They called it housing first. And it proved wildly effective because if you stop and think about it, half the problem with getting services to homeless folks is that they're homeless. They don't have a place you can go and knock on the door and say, gee, I'm here to deliver these kinds of services or I'm here to look at your eligibility for services or a place to call them up. So right. that, uh, uh, sadly, Utah has not uh, pursued that very very vigorously over the last few years, but, but they, they clearly established that that works. And so the VA is kind of following that housing first model, and they seem to be doing a, a, a pretty good job. Um, you know, uh, McDonough said that uh, their, their 22,500 uh, 22, folks that they've helped so far this year is on track to meet their goal for the year. So um, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I am hopeful that you'll see uh, – if not necessarily ten cities, but some some kind of uh, of semi permanent housing for veterans showing up in other areas where there are large concentrations, as in Florida and Southern Texas and some other places. So, all in all, it's uh, it's working along. They've they've added 180 housing units at the uh, the West Los Angeles uh, VA Medical Center campus. And um, in in that particular area, they've also uh, gotten uh, over 500 veterans into uh, uh, what the the uh, housing and urban development people call uh, the VASH program, which is uh, a program to uh, work with the VA to get permanent housing for folks uh, with uh, subsidy vouchers. So it's uh, it's coming along. And you know, I my hats off to McDonough. They uh, they've really made some strides this year compared to uh, the efforts under the last administration. So it's nice to see that things are going along. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, which kind of prompts me to to ask this question: um, Is the VA able to do anything to help vets that are struggling financially, even if they're not homeless? Well, Bert, of course, as you know, the the, uh, the VA extends um, benefits in the form of both uh, VA compensation and pension to eligible veterans. But the other thing that, that they're doing is sort of a, a special initiative, if you will. Um, there are about a half a million veterans that, for one reason or another, um, owe money to the VA, whether it's for uh, medical co-payments or uh, overpayments on their benefits or, um, uh, you know, outstanding uh, uh, loans of various kinds. Um, and the uh, uh, the government is, uh, is, is extending a, uh, a waiver, if you will, uh, a time for them to uh, – uh, kind of catch their breath and get back on their feet uh, through the end of this year as they are with student loans. Um, they're not offering uh, to, to uh, erase the debt as they are with student loans, but they're at least offering, as they also have with student loans, to extend the time for repayment and uh, allow people to uh, 
to take advantage of that opportunity. So uh, it's, um, it's, you know, it's moving along. Uh, it's hard to know how that will all uh, ultimately play out. I'm, I'm hopeful that like the uh, student loans, uh, the VA will see its way to uh, reduce or eliminate some of this debt, but obviously that's um, not uh, not known at this point whether whether that's ultimately going to happen. But the uh, the VA has extended uh, waivers um, to some folks during this uh, during the COVID period, and now they're at least extending a, a moratorium on payments. So it's um, it's coming along. Uh, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, it'll give people at least a chance to kind of get their feet under them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's incredible. Uh, you know what? And again, the VA does the best it can. And like a lot of government facilities or departments, they're underfunded and understaffed and and I'm grateful, uh, you know, for for their effort. And sometimes the effort isn't there. So when when you see the effort, you, you got to be grateful for that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a nice thing. And you know, one of the things I'm I'm very uh, pleased to see with the current administration is that they have really pushed to uh, to extend the budget for uh, for the VA and to. Uh, Try to do better for our veterans, uh, despite the uh, you know, the problems they've had with uh, some of the uh, Republican senators. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Senator Johnson in Wisconsin recently came out and wants to uh, not make uh, payments to uh, Social Security or VA uh, a, a mandatory obligation of the government. He wants to make that discretionary. You know, when, when there's a when there's a good year with taxes, they'll give them a little money. Otherwise, <laughs> eh, no. uh, oh my it gosh, it just in mind that some of these people would uh, would take that kind of a stance. Right, right. And again, you know that this person did not serve. No, no. It, it's just it does boggle the mind, and it, it's just. Yeah, it is amazing to me. Francis, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for stopping by. Always a pleasure, my friend. My pleasure, Bert. I, I always enjoy the chance to chat with you about these things, so take care of yourself. All righty. Good stuff there from lawyer Francis Jackson. Check out VeteransBenefits.com. VeteransBenefits.com. It's a invaluable tool, if you will, Uh Let's share this episode with everyone you know. If you know of a family member, friends, contact, church member, synagogue, buddy, whatever, whatever the connection is, doesn't matter, but you know that they serve, you know that they're veterans, let them know about veteransbenefits.com. They may not need it ever, which would be great if they don't need any help. Fantastic. But if they need help, they shouldn't suffer in silence, and they should, they should get their benefits. Help them out. Get them over to VeteransBenefits.com. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch, and check out our website at MoneyForLunch.com. 
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.